Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Walner. This episode contains some adult themes and descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. This is the second in a series of single episode stories or one-off episodes produced during the summer of 2021. In this summer series, we're learning about true crimes and other podcast producers from around the world. There are a lot of people on this planet who are looking for answers to what happened to their friends and loved ones. People everywhere attempting to get justice for victims and their families. Last week, we traveled to Australia and learned about the podcast The Lady Vanishes and Missing Marion Barter. The Lady Vanishes podcast has had millions of downloads and is produced by a news organization in Australia. This week, we're headed to Maryland to meet a podcast producer who describes her own show as a, quote, tiny podcast, unquote. She has no backing, makes no money from her show. She simply dedicates most of her free time to helping friends and families of victims to find answers and pursue justice. We will talk about her work, but also a little bit about Barbara Cotton. Her name is Erin Reed, and her podcast is titled Sipping on Some Crime. Aaron Reed, thank you so much for joining me on Dakota Spotlight Podcast. How are you this morning? I am good. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Um, I came into contact with you through Andy Johnson. Does that name ring a bell? She is the most amazing human on the planet. Yes, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Andy was a guest on A Better Search for Barbara Cotton because her childhood friends were murdered by a man named Frank Della Pena. And Frank de la Pena is a person of interest in the case of missing Barbara Cotton. So when we were looking into his background, we found her name online. She had mentioned Frank de la Pena and she came on the show. And like you, she works with advocacy for, for victims and their families of true crime. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got into it? What I do basically is in any free time that I have, um, if I see a case that just really sticks out to me that seems like they need some help, I will contact that family and say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? So that's kind of how I got started was I was listening to the Alyssa Turney case. Right. And I was in a really dark place because I had a lot of medical issues. And so I was home a lot. I had some more time on my hands. And there was just something about her case that was like, hey, I know you're going through a lot right now, but let's take that energy and put it on something good. And it was like Alyssa tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, focus on this. Like you can do some good while you're feeling so low. And so it kind of pulled me out and I contacted Sarah, uh, attorney on Facebook, and I said, hey, can I just write up her case for you? Like just a proposal, like all in one place. I know you're going to crime con soon. Can I just write this up? And she said, go for it. So that's how I really initially first got into it. 
Would you mind giving my listeners who don't know like a 60 second or two minute background of the Alyssa Turney case? Definitely. So Alyssa Turney disappeared in 2001. She was 17 at the time and she was with, she was living with her sister and her stepfather. Her mother had died of cancer when she was, uh, I want to say around three or, or five or six. And she was left with her stepfather to be raised. And there were accusations in the home that he was sexually abusing her. He was very abusive to her altogether. And he picked her up from school in May on the last day of school, brought her home, said that they got in an argument and that she ran away and was never seen again. So the belief is that he did indeed pick her up from school and killed her before he went to pick up Sarah that day. Sarah is her sister who is now has, well, she has her own podcast. She's, well, tell us about Sarah. Sarah's amazing. So Sarah, you know, jumped in from initially from the beginning, you know, Sarah's whole life just kind of blew up and, you know, she didn't believe at first that her father had anything to do with this because, you know, her father was telling her, no, you know, I didn't have anything to do with this. And she was so young when it happened. So initially she was, working to get her dad out of prison and he had gone to prison. It's, it's a kind of a big backstory, but they right. had found bombs in his home and guns and plans to blow up the electrical union in Arizona. So he was arrested and jailed for 10 years for that. And so she was working on trying to get him out of jail, you know, take care of everything and so much, you know, kind of become this adult and try to take care of all these lives. And then she did this 2020 special about her sister because she was still trying to just once her sister back. She was really, you know, she says at the time she was hopeful that she was just on a beach somewhere, had run away. That's what she held on to that. And in that 2020 interview, they had told her, hey, your dad picked her up from school that day, which was something nobody knew. And that's when everything really started to connect for her. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine for her going through that. And now she's had a lot of, she's the one who has, what, millions of impressions on TikTok or something about this story? Yes, that's what really, like, took it off for her. Um, she's brilliant. The fact that she went to TikTok and said, hey, this platform is unique and it's different. Like, let me just see what happens when I put Alyssa's name out there and her story out there. And everybody ran to do whatever they could to protect Alyssa and to give her a voice and to help Sarah do that. What's the status of that case now? So Turney has been arrested. Michael Turney has been arrested. And now it's just waiting on the trial date with COVID. Everything gets pushed back yeah. so much. And Sarah's not even allowed to talk about it. So it's, it's a really rough spot for her because she would love to talk to her. There's times where people are like, hey, you shared so much about Alyssa now. Why can't you? And they don't understand that it would hurt the case. While there's that love and support, sometimes I wish they would just remember, like, she's human, too. And she would love to tell you everything, but she can't. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app.
If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. You want to tell us a little bit more about you, where you live, and I, I believe you're doing this all, well, you said that, on your free time. You're not getting paid for this when you find time to do it and what you're, as much as your, I guess, private life you feel like sharing. Yeah, um, I have quite a bit of time to do it right now in between. Um, so I've had some health issues for like the past five years. So sometimes I have good days, sometimes I have bad days, I have my ups and downs, which makes it hard to say, let me produce a podcast that it's going to make some kind of financial ends, you know, <laughs> that I can live off of because that's never going to happen. My goal last year was to make six episodes. My goal this year is to make more than last year. Right. Um, and kind of work around what my health allows me to do. And I also have a daughter who is, I'm a stay-at-home mom. She's the toughest boss I have. So <laughs> she <laughs> she keeps me busy, you know. So it's, you know, having an only child, you've really got to keep them busy all the time. So there's that as well. But I try to jump in as much as I can. Um, more than podcasting, like I, if I do a podcast episode, it's generally on a case that interests me. I have two episodes that I've actually worked with the families and you know that I felt like those were the best way to push those cases forward. But beyond that, most of them are just episodes that I found very interesting and I felt like there was still a piece of justice missing from it. So I had to tell it, even if it's considered solved, I feel like something wasn't done complete or, and completed in that case. Or let's talk about this because you also do some writing. You've got an article here. Why the conviction? Why the conviction matters? The Brandy Myers story. This was in Phoenix, Arizona, in the Sunny Slope area. So Brandy Myers, um, she was 13 years old, and May 26, 1992, she was going door to door for a like a bookathon. She had read all these books for the summer, and it's like that where you pledge if you read these books, people will, you know, donate. So she was going to go collect this money. Her little sister at the time, Kristen, who was 11, was supposed to go with her. But there was a boy that came over that Kristen, you know, she had a little crush on and he was overplaying. And she was like, you know what, I'm not going to go with you. I want to, you know, I want to play with my friend. So Brandy decided to go out on her own. And around 8 p.m., she was spotted not too far from the house, like a few blocks away from the school and from the house. And then she just never returned home. She was being babysat that night. So the babysitter, you know, let her mom know that, you know, she hasn't returned. They called the police and the police, surprisingly about this case, it wasn't a, oh, maybe she's out playing, maybe she's doing this. Like they jumped in. Wow. They realized like something isn't right about this. And they created a massive search party within hours looking for this young, beautiful girl. Oh my goodness. Like it was, they sprung to action very quickly. Um, they did not have any luck finding her that night. And what actually happened was there was a classmate of Brandy's who was actually picked on her a lot, but said that all of a sudden she was like, well, I was with Brandy. And we went to the store and we bought candy. So the police were like, okay, well, if this is where she was last seen, let's start looking from here. So they did a canvas of the neighborhood, but then they really focused on 
she was lost at the store. Hmm. Let's spread out and look from here now. It takes till years later to find out that that little girl lied. Oh, my goodness. She did. She lied. So first off, like I said, she wasn't even nice to Brandy in a daily life. They weren't friends. So, you know, Kristen is a lot nicer about it than me. She's a sweetheart. She said she ended up meeting the girl years later down the road when she figured this out. And she says, she talks to her and goes, you know, you told a lie that affected this case so massively because you sent them all in a different direction. And I understand you were a child at the time. I understand seeing police lights and all the chaos and wanting to be a part of that. She said, I understand that. I'm not mad at the young girl that you were, but I need you to now retract this statement. Mm -hmm. And I would like an apology. The girl refuses to do either as an adult. And Kristen, like I said, she's bigger than me because I would put her name out there and I wouldn't have been that nice. I wouldn't have been forgiving of the child even. I mean, I hate to say that, but I would, I think I would just be like, I can't believe you did this. Like you had to have known the consequences of what you did, even like a few years later, something. So that really derailed it. She still refuses to retract her statement? Yeah, she still refuses. She refuses to retract it. She refuses to apologize. She refuses to admit she lied. So do law enforcement understand that she was lying or are they still re working off of her they they do understand that it was a lie but the problem is that you have it so built in mm -hmm. as her last location that it's still on charlie project it's still on many places where you go like they haven't made an official retractment of that being her last known location they still have her listed as missing so um she goes door to door they call in this massive search they're looking for her all night they don't find her now the next day they do find a young teenage girl's body in just a few blocks from the neighborhood. She looks a lot like Brandy, same height, same build, everything. So instantly they think, oh no, we've got, we found her. But a close, uh, of course, when they come to closer examination, they find that it is not Brandy. It's not her. It's not her. It's a, another young girl that looks very much like Brandy around the same age, same body build. In fact, if you see pictures of them side by side, they wore the same kind of glasses. It's, it's amazing how close oh and similar goodness. they look in many ways. Um, so they find this young girl, but she doesn't get identified for another 20 years. They have no clue who this young girl is. They just now know that they're on the search for Brandy and they've stumbled across a body that is not Brandy. And no one was looking for that girl or how did that... No one was looking for this sweet girl. So this sweet girl's name is Shannon Amuck. Her mother was 16 when, her, when she was sexually assaulted. Oh. And so she was a child of sexual assault. And the mother tried to raise her till she was about three. And then she turned her over to the state. Said, you know, I, I can't do this. So a family adopted her in Arizona. And they had her until she was 12. And then they went to CPS and said, you know what? She's a troubled child. We can't deal with her anymore. Take her back. Oh, boy. So this poor baby was then dumped into the system. So now she's going from group home to foster home and running away multiple times from each one and each, you know, she, I'm sure she felt unloved and unwanted. And in these group facilities, 
I'm sure she wasn't getting the care she needed. So she was constantly running and the group facilities actually came to the state and said, look, we're over having this child that runs all the time. We would like to relinquish any responsibility to her. So they were petitioning to relinquish the responsibility to her when she had run away again. And they were so over her running away, they just didn't report it. So this young girl was on the streets. Nobody was looking for her. Nobody knew she was missing. That's just so sad, obviously. I mean. Heartbreaking. Because, and that's, that's where it comes down to why it's so important for Brandy. Because if we can't get justice for Brandy, who's going to be there for Shannon? There's nobody there for Shannon. So it, it's so important that Brandy gets her justice for Brandy herself, but that also we can move forward for the Shannons of the world because there's so many of them. And if we can get justice for Shannon, we can show that they're, that they're not throwaway children. They matter to somebody. We'll be right back in a minute with Aaron Reed, an advocate for victims and their families and producer of the podcast Sipping on Some Crime. Let's get back to our conversation with Aaron Reed producer of the podcast, Sipping on Some Crime. So there is a suspect in these murders, is that correct? There is. There is a suspect. A few weeks later, they have a Angela Barrasso. She's 22. She goes on a bike ride from, she leaves her boyfriend at home. He's, it's actually the next day is her birthday. So he's secretly baking her this cake. Very cute little story. He wants to make her this birthday cake. So she's going to go on the bike ride. And while she's on the bike ride, he's trying to figure out how he's going to hide this cake till the next morning. And around 10 p.m., she doesn't come home. So he starts to stress and worry about her. And he calls the police. And at first, the police are like, you know what? She's 22. She's out, you know, doing her thing. Don't be so worried. So he's like, no, this isn't right. So he gets on his bike himself. And he goes out and looks for her. He can't find her anywhere. So he calls them again. He's like, look, you need to listen to me. This isn't her natural behavior. Something is wrong. So they do go out and start to search for her. And they do find her body in the canal. Um, unfortunately, it's a, it's a very hard story. They do find her body, but they aren't able to identify her because her head is not with her body. Oh my God. So they do have to have divers go and get her head out of the canal so that they can finally identify this, you know, beautiful woman that has just disappeared and then let, you know, her boyfriend know that they found her. But for many years, they thought it was the boyfriend. So this poor guy, I mean, his whole life, they Um, accused, you know, it's always the boyfriend. Yeah. Um, In fact, part of their first beginning of their uh, investigation with her case is they took his bike and his shoes from when he went out that night to look for her because they were just convinced it had to be him. So this poor guy loses her and then they they focus the investigation. And then a few weeks later, they find another body in the canal. And at this point, that was a 17-year-old girl, same kind of mutilation style as the previous ones. And it starts to spread through the valley that there's possibly a serial killer. But then it just kind of stops and slows down. But yet we still haven't found Brandy. We can't find her anywhere. It wouldn't be until years, 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 years later that these cases 
would stick out to this man, Brian Patrick Miller's friend. It was actually his best friend that said, there's something about my friend mm-hmm. and these murders that I really think he calls the Phoenix police and says, I really think you need to look into him. So that's when they start looking into Brian Patrick Miller. And that's where it brings it back to Brandy because Brian Patrick Miller actually lived in Brandy's neighborhood. He lived on the pathway that Brandy and Kristen walked every single day to school and from school. And more importantly, after they sorted out this story from this little girl that lied, after talking to the neighbors, they realized that the last time that anybody saw Brandy, she was knocking on the door two doors away from Brian Patrick Miller's. So this big connection starts to sink in. And that's when Brian Patrick Miller's ex-wife comes forward and actually says, this is going to sound crazy, but he used to tell me this story about a little girl knocking on our door that he pulled in and murdered. And I always thought that it was just a fantasy story of his. But here's all the details. Here's what he told me. This is basically his confession. It lines exactly up with Brandy. So now the police know, wait, we have her in this neighborhood. We have her two doors down. Nobody sees her go past those two doors. So it was really able to connect it back to Brian Patrick Miller. And they sat Kristen down and they told her, like, look, after talking to the wife, after putting this evidence together, we can tell you how she was killed, how she was disposed of. We know who did it. So we're going to mark this case as resolved but not solved. And they're basically done. Wash her, they're done. So are they, are they saying it's a resource issue that it would just cost a lot of money for us to do this? Or what is their opposition to? Or they're not able to prove it or... Because they don't have Brandy's body. So, and Arizona likes to say, like, hey, you know, no body cases are hard. I don't want to hear that. They have closed enough no body cases. They've won enough no body cases. The frustrating frustrating part, I think, that any of us see is it's almost like a, a winning game number. Is this case going to be successful so that I can get reelected next year as the prosecutor? Because they want to say how many trials they've, cases they've won. Exactly. So no body case, they're like, uh, I don't know. Sarah Turney, her sister is a no body case, but they have evidence that you just, you can't refute. And I feel like you have that with Brandy as well. While you don't have her body, you do have Angela's and Melanie's and the DNA ties him. You know, I don't like to give any time to these horrible monsters, nothing. I don't like to talk about their past, where they came from. The only parts of their past that I'm going to talk about is what correlates to how this kind of grew to these actions that ended in murder or that ended in sexual assault. I don't care how they were treated as children. I don't care if they were picked on or bullied. I don't because I'm not a psychologist and it's not my place to try to determine why they became who they are. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of us all have had horrible childhoods and we're not around murdering people. So I don't feel like that's an excuse for anybody. But if you look back at him just through his arrest records, there's multiple assaults. He stabbed women in 
just went to court and they were like, you know, like he walked up and stabbed women, like went to court and they were like, eh, you know what? He's fine. We'll just put him back out. So you can see an escalation. You can connect all these things and you can see where Brandy was, same neighborhood. I don't think there's any reason not to move forward with this case. This has just been so, so interesting. And we're going to talk a little bit about Barbara Cotton. Before we do that, please let everyone know how they can find your work, listen to your podcast and all of that. Definitely. So I have a website, sippingonsomecrime.com, where you can find my podcast and my articles. And at the bottom of every single article or podcast are resources that will connect you further into the case or to the families or advocate for the families page. So their Facebook page, uh, their GoFundMes. So all those links are there. So if you find a case that really intrigues you or that you feel like emotionally you've got to jump into like me, it'll tell you the ways that you can do that. And personally today, a big thing for me is Kristen is feeling defeated. The new prosecutor just said, again, we are not going to try Brandy's case so that Kristen can cap Brandy's day in court. And again, they've turned it down. And I've never seen Kristen feel so defeated. I've never seen her feel so absolutely crushed. So if your listeners want to show her some love and go to the Find Brandy Myers page on Facebook and just let her know that they've heard her story and she's not alone, that would make such an impact. Like just show her some love because she is, she just feels so defeated. Well, yeah, let's do that. And I'll put a link in this podcast show notes. And again, the Facebook group that you just mentioned is called what? Finding Brandy Myers. After my interview, Aaron told me we got the name wrong. The Facebook group is actually called Justice for Brandy Myers. And your website is sippingonsomecrime.com. Can they find that on Spotify and other platforms as far as listening? Yes, everything. They can find it on all of them. So you told me before that you have listened to my podcast as well and A Better Search for Barbara Cotton. Want to talk about that a little bit? It is so funny how that all worked out. So I grew up in North Dakota. My, my time was pretty much split between North Dakota and Maryland, not like my summers or my winters. Um, my mom liked to move a lot, but she really loved North Dakota and she really loved Maryland. So and my mom was a very sporadic mover. Like you would go to oh. school one day and come home and there'd be a U-Haul and you're like, oh, okay. Um, so we're doing this again. That that's, was my mother. So I spent time in Garnet, Finley, Grand Forks, Minot, Deering, Ruthville, like oh my goodness. a lot of North Dakota. Yeah, a lot of North Dakota. Um, so when I was looking at new cases, I actually was looking at some unsolved cases and I'd seen Barbara Cotton's and I was like, oh, there's actually a podcast on this. How cool. And so I downloaded your podcast and two days later, Andy messaged me and said, she's like, I'm going to be on this Dakota Spotlight podcast. And I was like, there's no way that the universe works this way. And I was like, how funny. And I told her, I was like, I literally just downloaded. I took a picture, a screenshot. She was like, that's incredible. Like I had just downloaded this. You had just contacted her and I'd had, because there was nothing about Barbara out there. There was just 
so little information. And I was like, wow, there's actually a podcast. I'm going to dive into this. And so I had just downloaded it when she messaged me and it just, it worked out. And again, Andy, Andy Johnson was a guest on the show. I can't remember which episode, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Her childhood friends were murdered in Wyoming, Rollins, Wyoming, in May of 1981, three weeks, three and a half weeks after Barbara Cotton went missing. Frank De La Pena murdered them, and he had left Williston on May 5th, just a couple days earlier. So he was in Williston when Barbara went missing. So why don't you just tell me, what are your thoughts on, I don't know where to start, what are your thoughts on the Barbara Cotton case? So... Uh... Stacey Warner and Frank Delapena stand out the most to me. Um, I think there is this, there could be a connection to her brother, but I just don't feel like that's solid enough for me. I don't feel mm -hmm. like there's enough that I would continue down that rabbit hole as far as where do I think this went. Um, right. But Stacey Warner and Delapena, that's, those are very, very strong yeah. possibilities. And, almost putting them together too. the fact that you could say, Hey, these two could have worked together or these two are very well, great suspects independently. That's a hard spot to be in because <laughs> where do you go with that? I mean, I mean, the other part is both of these guys hung themselves in jail. How weird is that? That's, that's where the connection That's where I feel like that you could almost connect them together. Um, because of that, that weird coincidence. I do have to say, I, I highly respect your decision not to read Delapena's suicide note. Oh, thank you. Um, I feel like that would have taken away from her, from Barbara and from all of his victims. So I, I highly respect that decision. I, I know that's not always a fan favorite. They want to hear every detail that they can so that they can understand. But I, I definitely respected that decision. It was definitely a Ted Bundy kind of narcissistic he wrote in his suicide note that he wanted the sheriff to share that suicide note with the media back then. And when I looked at it, I'm like, at first, I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to be interesting. I, and then I started thinking about it, like, like it's 40, 40 years later. And now I'm no, I'm not going to do this. Absolutely not. Right. Well, it's a hard spot for us to be in. I think people don't understand that. Like they, they listen and consume content. And that's not what it is about for us. It's about making sure that these victims' voices are amplified, that they're heard, and we don't want to give it to anybody else. But there are some podcasts that are just spitting out stories and retellings. They're not focused on the victim. They're not focused on the advocacy part. I've sat with Kristen and looked at Brandy's baby photos. I've sat in her living room floor and looked at her daughter who looks just like Chris, uh, like just like a little piece of Brandy. And so, you get to know these people on such a deep level. And so you feel for them. And so you go out and you make like even interviews like today, I was like, I want to make sure um, I have every fact about Brandy, right? I've done this case for three years, but I want to make sure I have it right. I'm going to write down everything. So I make sure, because I feel like such a responsibility if I get something wrong, um, because I think we need to do that in this community. We need to watch out for our victims, families, and loved ones. Erin Reed, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Check out her website at sippingonsomecrime.com. The podcast is called Sipping on Some Crime, available on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, what's the future look like for you, Erin? Uh, so it, I, 
my next episode um, hopefully will be able to be out next week and it's on a young girl named Bernadette Walker from the UK has very very close similarities between the Alyssa Turney case which is why when it came across my news feed I instantly knew we had to get some attention to it so that is hopefully up next week and ready to go and hopefully people can help amplify uh, amplify her voice as well Again, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on Dakota Spotlight. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to Aaron Reed for speaking with us this week. Her website and podcast is titled Sipping on Some Crime. To support Brandy Myers' sister, check out the Facebook group Justice for Brandy Myers. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week with more. I'm James Wallner. Thank you so much for listening to Dakota Spotlight. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.